0: I going to encourage you, invite you this morning that you would open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We've made it to the last part of this book this week. We talked about the believer's wealth in the first three chapters, then in chapters 4 to the beginning of chapter 6, the believer's walk. What is it that we should walk in as believers? And now we go to the believer's warfare. And if you remember in chapter 5, verse 18 of the book of Ephesians, he says, be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. And everything after that is a byproduct of the believer being filled by the Spirit. In fact, in the first four verses of chapter 6, the believers now walk is affected by the spirit at home and he's saying here now that the spirit filled christian must manifest a christ likeness beginning at the home and then from verses 5 to 9 they would they must manifest by the spirit a christ likeness on the job but then finally in this section the section that we read this morning He's going to encourage and exhort us that the Spirit-filled believer will manifest Christ-likeness on the battlefield. Now, I want you to know something. Take note. Remember this today. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. A playground is where we want to coast an entire spiritual walk with no growth Not understanding that we are at war and that we are in a battleground. Now what does that mean? It means that we're facing an enemy. And the enemy that we're facing is much stronger than you are apart from the Lord. We need the Lord. That's why we sing and we believe that the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. The battle belongs to the Lord. And as we celebrated a few weeks ago, Christ overcame... By his death and resurrection, the world. In John 16, it tells us that. He also overcame the flesh or sin. Romans 6 reminds us that. And then in Ephesians 1, he also tells us here, Paul, that Christ overcame the devil. What has Christ overcome? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the world is described as the system around us that is opposed to God. The culture, society, that is opposed to God, that caters everything to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is all the world. In fact, simply said, the world is society apart from God. That is the world. Society apart from God. Now the flesh, it's that old nature that we inherit from Adam. What is it that we inherit from Adam? Our sinful Nature. And that nature is opposed, that sinful nature of the flesh is always opposing God's will. It can do nothing spiritual in and of itself. In fact, the flesh always desires to please itself and desires to sin. So we're at constant war with the world, we're at constant war with the flesh, and we are at constant war finally with the devil. The devil is the enemy. And he wants you, number one, to be ignorant of your wealth. What is that wealth that Paul described in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3? He wants you to be ignorant of your identity in Jesus. This is why we have an identity crisis in the world today. Because the enemy wants to come and rob and steal the identity and the plan that Christ has for us in his son, in Jesus. So he wants to rob us of our identity, and he wants us to be impotent of our walk. So if it comes to your identity, he wants you to be ignorant of it. If it comes to your walk, he wants you to be powerless when it comes to your walk. In other words, said, Satan does not want the Christian to possess his possessions. Satan wants to rob you of all of the promises of God for your life. Satan wants to rob you of God's will for your life. I want you to know something. He cannot rob you of your salvation. (laughs) That's given to you by Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb. But he can rob you of your sanctification. What does that mean? That you're constantly being transformed according to Christ. You're, You're being now more conformed according to holiness. And how does he rob you of that? He wants to trip you up. That's what warfare looks like. So today we begin this series understanding the believer's warfare. Would you write that down as the title of the message? The Believer's Warfare. And unless we know who the enemy is, where he is, what he can do, what he cannot do, we'll have a difficult time defeating him. We have to know these things. There's no reason for us, after learning these truths, that we would be caught off guard. We must learn and know who the enemy is and be filled with the Spirit so that in this battleground, we can fight warfare in the Spirit. This is why we've talked in the last few weeks that the Holy Spirit is essential in every part of your life. The Holy Spirit enables you by faith to apply those victories of the world, the flesh, and the devil. You can apply those victories Unto your life because you're walking in the Spirit. So this is a call to stand against the devil. Remember that. This chapter 6. A call to stand against the devil. Why? Because there's warfare going on in your home right now. There's warfare with your children. Maybe in your marriage. At work. With other believers. You're in constant warfare as a Christian. And this is a call not to run. Not to hide. But stand. Today more than ever we need Christians to stand for truth. We do. And this is not to scare you. Amen. This study is not to scare you. This study is to prepare you. To prepare you for the warfare at hand. Oftentimes, as you study to teach God's Word, the Lord has a way for those that are listening and those that are teaching to go through the very lessons that they're now teaching through. So... I pray this is a short series, right? We are going to grow up into all that God has for us through warfare. And He presents three essential components in spiritual warfare. Three essential components in spiritual warfare. You're in a battle right now. Know this. Number one, be strong in the Lord. That's number one. Write it down, please. Number two, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. And number three, know your enemy. You must know who are you fighting against. So can we stand this morning for the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. And we're going to read three verses this morning, verse 10, 11, and 12. And we'll read all those verses out loud together. It would say this, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And we know, Lord, today that you desire that your church would be stronger than ever by your Spirit. That this would not be a weak church. That we would not be weak Christians. Lord, that we would be strong in the Spirit because we are in warfare. And understand that the only way to fight in this battle is by you. In Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. You may be seated. It begins there the first word of encouragement in verse 10 of this section be strong in the Lord where he gives an encouragement and exhortation Paul to the church of Ephesians by saying this finally my brethren be strong in the Lord this is after this is why he says finally after explaining your wealth after explaining your walk this is the conclusion This is the command, finally, my brethren, in light of, this is what he says, of all that God's done for you, in light of his great plan for your life from the ages past that he has made you a part of, God has a plan in light of that plan, in light of God's plan of maturity and growth for your life that he gives to you, in light of the conduct, and you being filled by the Spirit, and you walking in the Spirit. In light of all of this, now notice, there is a battle in the Christian life. After knowing this, there is a battle in the Christian life, and Paul throws himself wholeheartedly in the battle. Now do you want to know why a lot of people are defeated when it comes to warfare? Because they have one foot in the battle, and one foot outside of the battle. They have not taken the warfare seriously. And because of that, they've become so vulnerable. It's important that we know this so that you never underestimate the enemy. Don't underestimate the devil. He's much stronger than you apart from the Lord. You see, the danger in the battlefield is that we don't take the enemy seriously. And here he does take the enemy seriously. This is why he begins with, be strong in the Lord. Now, the key word there is in- the Lord, our strength is in the Lord. Our strength is not in our experience. Your strength is not in your career. Your strength is not in your education, in your now in your title, in your position. Your strength on the battlefield, on the battleground, is in the Lord. In fact, he's saying, "Be made strong in the Lord." And here in verse ten, it's the passive form of this word that suggests that we cannot do it in and of ourselves. Did you know that you cannot be strong in and of yourself? Did you know that you cannot make yourself strong as well? That there's nothing that you can do to make yourself strong against the attacks of the enemy. This is why he says, be strong in the Lord, the strength that comes from God. Now this is important because some believers never become strong, and they remain weak and fragile their entire Christian lives. And you know what happens? You become so vulnerable to the devil. Now, new Christians may say, new believers may say today, well, I can't be strong in the Lord because I just came to Christ. It's not necessarily always that a new Christian is always a weak Christian. Because our strength is not in ourselves, not in our knowledge, but it's by the Spirit of God. Yes, a new believer may be temporarily uninformed as he's growing, but he doesn't have to be weak. So it does have nothing to do with how long you have been saved. You've been saved today for one month, one week, or you've been saved for 30 years. I want you to know, you still need to be strong in the Lord by His Spirit. And you need to be strong in the Lord during different times of your Christian life. During different times. David teaches us in the Old Testament, to be strong during battle. Write that down. During battle. In fact, in 1st Samuel chapter 30 verse 6, it said that David was in battle and the people spoke of stoning him. And it said but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. This is incredible. During battle, David strengthened himself in the Lord. When do we need to be strong in the Lord during battle? Also during suffering. Maybe today you're going through a trial. You're experiencing suffering. You need to be strong in the Lord during suffering. Paul says this as he's in prison, as he's suffering, as he's in chains. In Philippians chapter 4.13, and we all know this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whether you're in battle or you're suffering during battle or during suffering, be strong in the Lord. But what about this? During opposition. Have you ever faced opposition because you're doing something for the Lord? Well, during battle, during suffering, during opposition, we need to be strong in the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul tells his young disciple, young pastor, Timothy, opposition. And he tells him this, you therefore, My Son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in His grace. Yes, you're facing opposition, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. During battle. During suffering. During opposition. But what about this? During ministry. If you're serving the Lord, if you now have your hands to the ministry, know this, you've become a bigger target for the enemy. He wants to stop you from serving the Lord. It was in the book of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, when Zerubbabel was called to rebuild the temple of God. That it looked like an impossible task to finish. And the word of the Lord came through Zechariah the prophet, and he told Zerubbabel this, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So we need to learn to be strong in the Lord, to be strong in His spirit, by His Spirits. Why? Because the devil's not afraid of you. <laughs> There's some people think, well, I'm gonna show the devil. No, you're not. The devil's not afraid of you, but he is desperately afraid of the Holy Spirit. He is. I heard a story of friends that went to be missionaries in China. They said, well, When we got to China, they said that we can teach on anything in the Bible. The governance constitution that has to sanction churches in China looked at our teachings and said you can teach on whatever you want and you are approved to be a church. The only thing you can't teach on is on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the enemy knows that when the people of God are filled by the power of God, there is nothing that can stop them. So this is very important for us to understand That our greatest need, notice this, is not self confidence. The world wants to tell you that. You became a stronger you. It's not about self confidence, it's about having confidence in God. Confidence in God. That you fight warfare not in your own strength. You're always gonna be frustrated if you fight it in your strength, if you fight it emotionally but that you would fight it in the Spirit, that you would fight warfare by the Spirit. Know this, you will never be successful against the enemy if you are fighting outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. Never. You will never see victory in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in the ministry, in the church, outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the unprepared believer becomes very quickly the defeated believer because he seeks to serve the Lord. He seeks to live his life in his own wisdom, in his own program, in his own plan without the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is so sad. You see people that, that say they know the Lord. They are raised in the church even. Oftentimes they go to church every Sunday. But their countenance demonstrates that they're defeated. Because they're not yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why it says, in the Lord. And notice what he speaks of here in verse 10. In the power of his mind. This is incredible here. He describes now what it means to be strong in the Lord. It means to be strong or to depend upon the strength that he has made available. Now I want you to know this. If you're experiencing warfare right now are no substitutes for the Holy Spirit to give you victory in the warfare. Your strength, the numeric number of people that you have on your side, who you can call, who you work for, who you know, will never substitute the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing will. Depend on the power, notice he says in verse 10, of His Might now, might describes now the spirit of God. Might describes that dunamis power of the spirit, and power here it's the exercise of that might, so that you would use his might, use his power. In fact, he says, Depend in his mighty power, that you would use. The power of God. Notice that. Write that down, please. Be strong, O Lord, and use His mighty power. Now, how do we use His power? His power is used as it's working in us, as we rely on it. The key is to, by faith, rely on His might and rely on it every single day more and more. It's the Lord's strength. It's the Lord's power. It's the Lord's Spirit. It's the Lord's biblical truth that are required for spiritual victory. This is why in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God's Word tells us, and you shall receive power, dunamis power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you can be a witness to me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then you can be a witness to me. How are you filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? By waiting on the Lord in prayer. By going to His Word for, for now, being, to be fed by Him. By, by seeking fellowship with believers. The power of the spirit is needed in the battles and temptations that we face on a daily basis. Notice, use the power that is available through Him. Do not forfeit the power. Use His power. There are so many Christians today that forfeit the power of the Spirit in their own lives, in the church, in their families. Why? Grieve the Holy Spirit. By what? Sin. Sin will forfeit the power of of the Holy Spirit in your life right away. What happens? You you quench the Spirit of God through carnality, saying, you know what? I don't, I don't want God's way. I want my way. I'm going to resist this plan, or I'm going to reject Him. I'm going to resist what God wants to do. What about laziness? Ungodly entertainment? Forfeiting the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're more concerned with what brings you pleasure than being filled by the Spirit of God. This is why it's been said before that idle time is the devil's playground. Idle time. I remember reading a book one day and it it said you can tell a lot about a person by what he does on his day off. Are you seeking to be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is there too much foolish talking going on in the home amongst believers? Arguments, debates, love of money, chasing a career. You'll never find the victory that you are so desperately looking for, maybe a desire for rest, uh, uh, to be respected or to, to gain an image or being unequally yoked with an unbeliever, having fellowship with someone that doesn't honor God, it, what does it do? It quenches, it forfeits the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. When we doubt God's Word, when we don't listen to what God is saying, when there's a lack of faith, it now forfeits and quenches the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And why is it important that we start by being strong in his spirit? So that after, when we are spiritually strong, then we can wear his armor. This order is is incredibly important that you would see it today. I mean, think about this. If you take a weak man who can barely stand, a weak man who can barely stand, and you put the best armor on that weak man, he will still be an ineffective soldier because he's weak. (laughs) doesn't matter what he wears. He will be easily beaten because he's not filled with strength. This is why, before a soldier is given a gun or shown how to fire a missile, what's taking place? It's something called basic training. And basic training is to build up that recruit's endurance or physical ability so that when they're given the best weapons and armor, they are strong enough to be able to use them in battle. Do you see why it's important to be strong in the Spirit so that you know how to use the armor of God? Strong in the Spirit and the power of His might. Why? There is no room for weaklings in the battle. There is no room. There is no weakling that will stand before our enemy. And it's good to understand your deficiency, your own deficiency, so that we know our sufficiency is in the spirit that you in and of yourself cannot win the battle. Stop striving. Stop fighting. Stop being frustrated. And go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your spirit. I need to be strengthened by your spirit. I can't do ministry. I can't be a husband. I can't be a worker. I can't be a Christian without the spirit of God. There is nothing that you can do successfully as a believer without the spirit of God. Know that today. Be strong in the Lord. Number two, and put on the whole armor. Now that you have become strong, now you can put on the armor of God. It says put on the whole armor of God. This is a word of enablement. First a word of encouragement, not a word of enablement. And this is a command when now he gives orders as to a soldier that is submitted to receive his orders in warfare by his commander and we're filled with the spirit we're submitted and the lord's army waiting for our orders by our commander our commander-in-chief the lord jesus christ and he says put on the armor now now put on the armor conveys the idea of permanence of permanence what does that mean that you put on the armor and you don't take it off you know what happens Why you become defeated as a believer? Because you put on the armor on Sunday, and then when you go to work, you take it off on Monday. <laughs> you will always be frustrated and defeated that way. Put it on permanently and don't take it off. This is the Christian's sustain lifelong attire, the armor of God. In chapter 4, he talks about what the saint should wear, his attire, as a Christian, What is our attire? But here in chapter 6, he speaks, what is your attire as a soldier? There's a soldier that's in battle. Notice what he says here. The whole armor. Circle the word whole in your Bible. Because it speaks of all of God's armor. Put on the armor of God and don't take it off and put on the whole armor. You can't pick and choose what you want to wear and what you don't want to (laughs) wear. Put on the entire armor of God. God gives the believer, notice this, a full set of equipment. Notice, as a soldier going into battle, a full set of equipment. As a SWAT team, special weapons and tactics entering the building that has from head to toe the right equipment for that battle. Notice, God has given you everything you need before He sends you out to battle. That's such an encouraging thought. (laughs) Just think about this battle right now. God has given you everything you need to fight in that battle. You're in warfare right now. He has given you everything you need. Everything you need, you have it in Jesus Christ. He has made it at your disposal. You need to wear that armor. And we love that Paul always uses the military to illustrate the believer's conflict. Now he he, he illustrates, uses military examples a lot through the Bible, and has a lot to do with the fact that he was chained to a Roman guard. In fact, he was witnessing to the Roman guard, and church history tells us that every so often, every couple hours, that it changed the Roman guard, because the Roman guard got saved, because Paul would say, so what's your name? And then he talked about Jesus, he got saved, and they would switch him out, and another Roman guard would come, guard would come and he would witness to him as well. But you know what Paul would do? He was observing the armor that the Roman guard was wearing. And everyone during that time the readers the Ephesians they were familiar with the soldiers equipments that they used. They saw the soldiers walking around and they knew the equipment. So he gave them an example. In fact he uses the military example to describe our arsenal as a soldier. Did you know that? In fact 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says this. Write this down 2 Corinthians 10:4 for the weapons of our warfare How do we fight battle in the warfare? Are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What is the weapons for warfare? It's the armor of God. This is our arsenal. And we should never turn from it, from our arsenal, from our armor, to puny, ineffective weapons of the flesh. Those do nothing. (laughs) That accomplishes nothing. That which pulls down strongholds is the weapons of warfare that are included in the armor of God. God. The second example that we see that he uses military illustration is when he encourages Timothy to continue. You know what he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12? He says, fight the good fight of faith. Continue fighting. You're in a battle, Timothy. Fight the good fight. You're in the spiritual warfare. Lay hold of eternal life. But as you lay hold of eternal life on the way there, guess what? It's going to be filled with a series of battles. It's going to be filled with a series of battles. So what does he do? He tells us first that you have an arsenal. He's encouraging Timothy to continue, but he also tells Timothy to endure. Did you know that in this battle that we're fighting, we need to learn endurance so that we don't give in, we don't try to quit too easily? It's always too soon to quit. Maybe you find the pressure from every side. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.3, you therefore must endure. 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 Be strong. Don't give in. Don't be weak. Depend on His Spirit. Our endurance comes through His Spirit. Endure hardship. Things are not always going to be easy. They're not supposed to be. You're in a battle. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then He presents later on as we're going to read, in order in which the various pieces of the armor were put on... The same order that he lists them are the order in which a soldier would put on the armor. But notice one word that is so important there that should really draw our attention, that it's the armor of who? Of God. It is God's actual armor. That's that's just an amazing verse to be encouraged by, that it is God's armor. He wears this armor, the Lord wears this armor, and then he shares it with us. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, it describes the Lord wearing the armor. This is amazing. Isaiah 59, verse 17 says this, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on His head. He put on the garments of vengeance for His clothing and He was glad with zeal uh, as of a cloak. The Lord was wearing this armor and now He is sharing it with you so that you can be equipped with His very armor. Do you see the value, the credibility, the effectiveness of this armor? It's God's armor. Is the armor of God. He's saying, I'm going to share this armor with you. Here, you wear the armor now. And you know what happens when we wear the armor? We can then be called more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. How many of us can praise God for that today? Because of the armor. Now notice here, that word armor is only used Another time in the Bible is used when a man is fully armed, and another one stronger comes, disarms him, and takes over him. And Jesus used that example in Luke 11, verse 21. He says, when a strong man is fully armed and guards his own place, notice his goods are in peace, but when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from all his armor, in which he trusted, it and divides the spoils. What does he say here? Jesus says when there is someone that's strong and has an armor, and if someone stronger than him comes disarms him and takes over his armor, and he also takes over his place. And this is exactly the very thing that Christ has done over the enemy. In fact, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says this, having disarmed, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them Triumphing over them. What did He do? He disarmed the enemy already at the cross when He defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil. So His armor is an effective armor. His armor is an armor that can withstand the attacks of the enemy. This is why He says in verse 11 that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now this is the protection of God. He's provided an armor, and the armor now provides protection. So that you may be able, says, that you may have the power, or the ability, or the dunamis, so that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit and have power to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, what does the power do? It gives you the strength, the ability, the dunamis power of the Spirit to stand firm. What do we need to do? Stand. Not run. Not hide, not retreat, but today God's calling you to stand. Stand against the devil. Stand against the attacks. Stand against the discouragement, against the depression, against the anxiety. Stand against the lies of the devil that is looking to come to attack your life. That you would stand strong so that you are not easily moved. What happens when you're wearing the armor? You're not easily moved. You're not easily shaken. You're not taken from one thing to the other very quickly. Now, Satan's schemes, notice, the wiles of the devil, his schemes against us come to nothing if we're standing in the armor of God. They come to. This is why we need the armor of God. Because we stand in victory on the side of the cross. And yes, the evil one may rage, may roar, But he is very powerless against the child of God that is standing by the power of the Holy Spirit wearing the armor of God. Notice this. The Roman armor was designed to protect the physical body from the enemy's weapons. That is why the Romans wore the armor. But we wear the armor to protect the soul. The armor is given to us because God does not throw us unprotected into the battle against Satan's empire. You know what the Lord does? He gives us the complete protection over your mind. Right now, maybe there's attacks going on in your mind that you're not good enough, that you'll never be where you need to be. But wear the armor of God when he attacks you in the mind. Maybe in your heart, there's emotions. In the soul, in your spirit, in your conscience, in your will, this armor is protection over every piece and area of our lives. So we have to put it on deliberately, thoughtfully, intelligently every single day and never take it off as we are reading and studying the Word of God. Put on the armor so that you can stand and resist the wiles. Notice here, the wiles. What are the wiles? That Greek word wiles is the word "methodia." It's from that word that we receive, methods. Stand in the armor so that you can stand against The methods of the devil. Did you know he has methods? And he knows how to trip you up. (laughs) He knows exactly what makes you weak. He has certain methods because he's so cunning and crafty. He has schemes and he has strategies. That's what the enemy does as to how he can make you fall so that you do not stand. The enemy wants to see you fall. And not only is he strong, but notice he's wise He's subtle. So we're fighting not only against the devil, we're also fighting against the wiles of the devil, the methodia, the strategies of the devil. That's what we have to pray. Lord, let me understand that that's a method of the devil. That's a lie of the devil, the things that oftentimes go through in our lives. And the wiles of the devil, it's the all-inclusive encompassing now of every type of sin And moral practice, false theology, you think of any type of worldly enticement and satanic practice that the enemy brings into our lives to trip us up from God's will. This is why he says these are his wiles. These are his strategies. These are his methods. Understand what they are. Who do they belong to? The devil, it says. Now the devil is called... An accuser, a slanderer. In fact, the word Satan means adversary. Why is he our adversary, accuser, or slanderer? Because Revelation tells us that he accuses God's people day and night before the throne of God. He's there accusing us every day, every night, accusing us of everything we do wrong. He is our adversary. But how many of us can thank God that we also have an advocate and his name is Jesus. And every time an accusation comes against us, you know what Jesus does? He stands up and he says, God, Father, I paid for that already. <laughs> or oh, that other accusation? Yes, I covered him on that as well when I went to the cross. He is our, he's our advocate. The devil is always there looking to distract you, distract you from God's will with something else, to, to put something on your path so that you're distracted. The devil is there to destroy you. The devil is there because he wants to discourage you, especially If you're serving the Lord, you've become a target. Have you ever noticed, man, things were going well until I started going to church. And then I started serving in the midst. They said they needed help, and that's when things got really bad. It's just so important for us to realize this so that you don't become ignorant, and then when you're ignorant of this, you know what the devil does? He takes advantage of you because you don't know. Paul tells the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says... The devil has taken advantage of you, and now you're divided. Because you don't understand that this is the devil. You think it's so personal. In fact, he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Don't let Satan take advantage of you because you are ignorant of his methods. He'll take advantage of you very quick. He's very crafty so that we have to discern it. So that we're not people that are taught to and fro with his lies of the enemy. Ephesians 4 verse 14, Paul says, don't be tossed to and fro from side to side. Do not be tossed with every wind of teaching, with every lie, by the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting. Do not be lied to because the devil is crafty. But notice this. The devil also, write this down, is a tempter. And there in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness fasting 40 days, it said that the enemy came and tempted him, and he said, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. (laughs) The enemy comes and does that. He comes and tempts you, and he knows what to tempt you with. He knows where your area of weakness is. He's not going to come tempt you where you think you're so strong. He's going to tempt you where he knows your area of weaknesses. So no, he's crafty. No, number two, he's a tempter. He's going to tempt you. Number three, he's a murderer and he's a liar. Jesus said this to the devil, John eight forty four. you are of the father, your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. The devil is a murderer and the devil is a liar. He doesn't stand in the truth. He's crafty. He's a tempter. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a destroyer. Write this down as well. A destroyer. Peter tells the church that was being persecuted. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober. Come on. Wake up. Vigilant. Alert. Because the devil, your adversary, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be awake, don't fall asleep, don't be naive, don't be ignorant. Come on, understand, know this, the devil is walking around like a roaring lion. You know what it means here? He is stalking his prey. Have you ever seen it in National Geographic? Maybe a lion stalking the prey. And he's very carefully, very subtly stalking, and then all of a sudden he overtakes that prey and devours it. That's what the devil does. He stalks his prey. It's important that you know this so that you are not taken advantage of. And he's a deceiver as well. Remember that in Romans 12, verse 9, as we mentioned it previously on Wednesday night, he is referred to as that serpent of old. What did the serpent do in the Garden of Eden? He changed God's Word. He told Eve, that's not really what God said. He adds to the Word. He takes away from the Word. He questions God's Word, God's will for your life. Maybe you think God's telling you to do something, and here comes the devil. Well, God didn't really say for you to do that. This word doesn't really mean that. It means something else. Distorting God's word or an angel of light, an imposter. He presents himself to be innocent when he's not. This is exactly what the devil is doing right now in our culture. He's bringing a lot of things out of the media, out into society. And you know what he does? He puts them on a, on a silver platter to make it look like it's innocent, but it's demonic and it's satanic and it's... Straight from the pit of hell. And you know, it's sad when you see Christians. They think, no, it's just innocent entertainment. Nothing is innocent if it's of the world. You have to be able to know. 2 Corinthians 11-14, he says, And no wonder Satan has taken advantage of you. (laughs) No wonder you're so deceived, he tells the church. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. This is why you're acting that way. No wonder, he says. Van Taffner said this in his commentary regarding the war, he says, and the devil is not fighting religion. (laughs) He's too smart for that. He's pronouncing a counterfeit Christianity. So much like the real one that good Christians are afraid to speak out against it. Are you able to tell the difference between what is light and darkness? Because he transforms himself into an angel of light. He's deceiving and then he's a hinderer as well. Write this down. A hinderer. What does he do? He opposes the work of God. When God's doing a work, he hinders. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Paul says, Therefore I wanted to come to you, church of Thessalonica. Even I, Paul, time again, but Satan hindered us. He wants to hinder the work. Where does Satan come from? We know that he seeks to oppose God's will, to defeat God's work. He comes from, as we know through Isaiah and through Ezekiel, He was a cherubim in heaven called Lucifer. Beautiful angel. One day he thought that he should, and he did deserve, he thought that, deserved the worship of God. He said, well, I can be worshipped as well. And the core of sin, the core of fallen man, the fallen nature, the core of sin is selfishness. Just like Lucifer thought, I can do it. I want to be worshipped. I want to stand in the place of God. That's what the core of sin is, selfishness. It's when we begin to say, instead of thy will, we start to say, I will. Instead of saying, thy will be done, you know what you start to say? I will. I want to do this my way. Be careful that you don't start to say, I will. Or everything that you say, every time you speak, the first word that comes out of your mouth is the word I. (laughs) Be careful that it's not about what you want, because that's exactly what the kind of pride that got the devil in trouble. But he was a created being. He was a cherub. Notice this. He's not eternal as God. He's limited in his knowledge. He's limited in his activity. He's unlike God. Satan is not all-knowing. He's not all-knowing like God. He is not all-powerful. He is not ever-present. We know what he's doing. We just read it. We know where he's going. Revelation 20 says he's going to the lake of fire. (laughs) We know that. And that's the truth about him. Now God commands us to put on the armor of God that he's provided so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. And notice, the wiles of the devil are propagated through the evil working of the system in which he rules. He rules this system, the system of the world. This is why, number three, you want to know your enemy. Let's look at this verse. It says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Know the reality of spiritual warfare. This is the word of enlightenment. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. Know your enemy. Know the arena in which you're fighting in. Now, notice what he says. We do not wrestle. That means it's not that we are entering into spiritual warfare It's an announcement. We are in spiritual warfare as a believer right now. Know that. It's not about when you're going to enter into warfare. As a Christian, you are in warfare right now. And if you're ignorant of this fact, if you don't know, if you didn't know this, you're probably losing the battle right now. The the, the fact of the matter is that we are in a battle. It's not an ordinary battle. Our enemies are not people. We have to see beyond people. The enemy is not a person. Notice this. The enemy, I hope this helps a lot of marriages, is not your spouse. Don't say, oh, I have to wake up next to the enemy again today. The enemy is not your spouse. This is not an ordinary battle. Our enemies are not people. We must see beyond the people. In fact, we wrestle. That word wrestle means we struggle. Right? That word struggle. We're struggling now. It's a hand-to-hand now, battle and combat. Not we're not mere spectators in this battle. This is a battle, hand-to-hand combat, contact, featuring deception and trickery by Satan. And we're struggling. Not we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against human organizations, religion, atheists, agnostics. It's demonic powers that are working through those things. So don't be ignorant. Do not become distracted. Don't get, start wasting time fighting with people being resentful. As a Christian, the battle that you are in, it's always spiritual because we're in a heavenly realm, in a spiritual realm. The only time you think it's personal, I want you to listen to this. The only time you think it's personal is when you took your eyes off the Lord. Then you start thinking it's personal. This is what the devil wants you to think. The devil wants you to think it's personal so that he can lie to you, so that he can divide you. So that you can always assume, they're always against me. They don't like me. Why are they doing this? Satan may use people to cheat you, to hurt you, to even kill you, as some would have said before, but a real enemy is lurking in the shadows of the unseen world. That is demonic activity. You know what the devil does? He moves people in his chessboard of time. This is what he's doing. He's behind it all. Know who's behind it. We shouldn't be fighting one another. We should be fighting the devil together. We fight on the same side to oppose the work of the devil. We don't walk in the flesh, nor do we war according to the flesh. Notice what he says here as he identifies the enemy in verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? This is what we do wrestle against principalities, chief rulers, powers, delegated authorities, rulers of darkness of this age, evil world rulers, full of depravity, full of perversion, demonic-inspired, occultic, satanic worship. That is who you're fighting against every day. That is the reality of it. Of the unseen world. They they operate in the supernatural. Verse 12, let's finish reading here. It says, against spiritual hosts, or enemies, authorities of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's an entire spiritual realm. The battle is going on in a spiritual sphere around us. And you have to realize that if you're going to be walking in victory. Now notice these terms that Paul used. It's a variety of terms that refer to our spiritual enemies. Satan is using these authorities, these principalities, these powers, these spiritual hosts. Why? Because he's organizing an army of demonic spirits. Notice what's happening here in verse 12. On many different levels, on many different ranks, to come with one sole objective and sole goal to knock the Christian from their place of standing. This is what the power principalities and spiritual hosts want to do. To knock you down from your place of standing. But notice this, the moment we try to pray, the moment we try to do anything for God, that very moment we say, Lord, I give you my heart, the unseen but powerful and organized armies of Satan start to oppose us. And be careful if you're here today and say, well, you know what, I'm good. I'm good because I've been a Christian for a while. I think you should know that. But I serve in the ministry. Paul says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take lest he." falls. Be careful when you think that you are strong because then you're going to fall. You know what the best way to fight against the enemy? Is on your knees with an open Bible. Through the power of prayer and through the sword of his word. It's been said before that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saints upon his knees. Today we need to go back to our knees, understanding as 1 John 4 would have said, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Jesus gives us an encouragement, and I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against. There is nothing that the enemy can do against the spirit-filled church believers that are depending and relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. To finish today, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief, the enemy, he doesn't come except, this is the only reason why he comes. The enemy doesn't come to be your friend. The enemy doesn't come to make a deal with you. The enemy doesn't come to try to entertain you. The enemy doesn't come except to steal. Kill and destroy. You know what he wants to steal, kill and destroy. He wants to steal away your calling. He wants to destroy your gifts. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to come and discourage you in your mind that you are not who you need to be in Christ Jesus. He wants to come and bring condemnation. That was what the enemy does. He steals, kills and destroys. But notice what he said. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly in Jesus. But he's come that we may have life, and that we would have it abundantly, that our life would overflow in Christ Jesus. But I have come that they may have life. But I have come that they may have life. But I have come that they may have life. Let's pray.